Welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast, the all-inclusive place to talk people, process, and technology for enterprise transformation and modernization. I'm your host, Connor Delamank. Today's episode is brought to you by Strategio. Strategio is dedicated to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for underrepresented and underserved groups within enterprise IT. Strategio sources STEM graduates from universities across North America, invests in paid training and relocation, trains in skills including cloud and DevOps, site reliability engineering, full stack development, cybersecurity engineering, and data science, and then delivers these highly trained technologists to enterprise organizations on a one to two year contract to hire program. If you would like to find out more about the Strategio program, please go to strategio.tech. And today I'm here with Lisa Wardlaw. Lisa is a CXO in the digital, financial, and strategic space. She has held roles at companies such as Farmers Insurance and Munich Re in the last few years. Lisa is involved with product innovation and vision, budgeting and resource allocation, C-level global leadership, and global digital transformation. She has built a big data and predictive analytics model with a five-year projected return on investment of more than $400 million. Lisa, how are you today? Great, thank you. Thanks for having me, Connor. Excited to be here. Yeah, really happy to be with you as well. Um, we've had some some really cool conversations offline. I've heard all about your your background and the fact that you bring uh, more creativity, I would say, than than most to the financial services and insurance space in, in a, a world that traditionally can is quite uh, it follows one track and can be quite rigid, we would say. And it seems <laughs> to me that you bring a lot of creativity. I think that comes from your liberal arts background. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> and you're very gracious about what we say about financial <laughs> services, right? Uh, we're like, okay, who's the least interesting person in the room? Raise hands. No. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think that I, I think I may have been drawn to it maybe because of my liberal arts background. So, this like combination of the linear and the nonlinear, and then the intersection of that to really create these very robust and societally purposed. Um, solutions, right? So that's the the economics kind of drew me in, but the engagement, and I have to say, maybe I started sparking and, and, and invigorating more during the digital kind of quest in, in insurance, which is how do we do it? But yeah, I mean, I, I think that all, all the business models we see today, um, and you know, I was just lucky to have chosen a liberal arts school, it's that intersection of the art and the science that really kind of fuel and perpetuate this utopia or the holy grail that we're all striving for. So yeah, liberal arts trained um, by background and then uh, spent you know the last 26 years predominantly in very linear um, organizations. So very much a fish out of water. Okay. And, and this is why we, I think, have struck a connection because I'm always out here looking for uh, people that are different in any way. And when we talk about that, you know, we're referring to bringing uh, difference and diversity to teams, to organizations. It doesn't have to be 
gender, race, ethnicity, culture, sexual orientation. It could be diversity of thought. Such an interesting thing that I, I believe many people are looking at, a lot of leaders are talking about, but bringing people in that think differently to the rest of the team, instead of just saying, I wanna have someone that's exactly the same, same background, same upbringing, same degree, et cetera. If you can bring a unique flair to a team, you're gonna think in a new way and you're gonna challenge concepts, challenge ideas. That is how we can disrupt and innovate. So from what I can see and from our discussions until now, it seems like that drive you have, it seems like you've got this word I saw on your profile that really got me going was the, the relentless drive to challenge the status quo. That's a really powerful phrase. So tell me more about what that drive is and how you are challenging the status quo. It's so literally freeing in today's day and age to be able to be the outlier and to have it in essence be an asset or a value trait, right? So, 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 right. I think most of us have spent years, decades in my case, I won't, I won't mention my age, um, predominantly as organizations, which we could talk about industrial revolution and, and org structures and the conditioning, but institutional organizations predominantly uh, condition out of people, um, in essence, curiosity, in essence, um, problem solving and in essence status quo challenging right because it is a um you know traditionally it was a result of the industrial revolution we wanted execution we wanted you know cheap production uh, rote processing right like all the things that we hope our children don't go through in school we were actually doing as adults right and so this relentless drive to challenge the status quo i i, I would have to say that it it doesn't come from any um you know, like, oh, I want to, you know, be altruistic or do this. It just comes from a, um, a true spirit of, I refuse to believe that things are not possible. I think Emily Dickinson may have said that. I, you know, I dwell in the art of possible, right? And I think for me, uh, growing up with a mother as a dancer and really seeing my mother create an experience out of nothing more than a vision, right? That, I mean, that's really the whole art part of dancing. It, you, you don't see all the work, the effort, the conditioning, the training, the choreography, the music, the lighting, the stage, the costuming, right? All you see is this thing that you experience. And, and you know, I grew up with not only a prima ballerina as a mother, but then, you know, she ran a dance studio. So I think that um, I was always invigorated electrolyzed and almost intoxicated with the ideation that you can make experiences and emotional uh, connectivity from all these things together, right? And so when I went into, you know, graduated from liberal arts, you know, went into to work, I was very first involved with this kind of intersection of like accounting and, and IT, which is funny now. Um, processes were hard you know, hardly emphasize, like really core emphasis in, in the firm that I happen to grow up in. And I think what started to dawn on me is, wow, we're, we're not creating this engagement and this experience and this kind of, um, to spark joy, right? There, there's nothing good about this. This is just very linear. It's very flat. And, and, and it's very much, I, I always use the word a hamster wheel. Um, it's like, Right. And then a lot of my digital criticism is um, we just took the hamster wheel and we smacked a battery on top of it. But that's not the point. Right. The point is that we really need to uh, reinvent. And by reinventing, we need to stop 
listening to the no's. So my relentless drive is that I know things are possible. Now, that's not to say they're economically a good idea. That's not to necessarily say that, you know, I, I used to always say we shouldn't build a pool on the second story of a home when, you know, it's usually cheaper, more economic to build it on the, the ground. But but if we have a need for that, then how can we do it, right? So so it, it's funny because I, I, I wove through my career in roles where you're supposed to be economical, you know, I was a COO at one point where you're supposed to take cost out, off X, you know, all these things you're supposed to do. But how do you do that in a way that, fuels what I would like to call like is authentic innovation, right? Like how do we actually do something different that people want to experience, right? I talk about this a lot at the moment, the way that we're still, we're still so stuck in uh, industrial uh, manufacturing complex world of work, right? We, we still, the amount of, if you go on LinkedIn today and scroll down, you're going to see countless people talking about, oh, uh, you know, I've given my employees a slight bit more freedom and now they can finish an hour earlier because we've adapted to COVID <laughs> or we, we're considering, you know, maybe allowing people to work hybrid. These kind of things where why aren't we focusing on outcomes? Why aren't we focusing on innovation and doing things differently? Like a whole different mindset on how we go about business and technology. If you li- listen to the real movers and shakers, the the Netflixes, Googles, Facebooks, Uber, LinkedIn, the companies that have come around what in the last 15, 20 years at most and changed the way the whole world works, how can we make startups today or medium-sized companies, never mind the big corporations, how can we make them impact change if we're just doing everything the exact same? A way that I've done that and tried to bring in this uh, going against the status quo when I formed Strategio I haven't even called people's job titles the same as what they're called outside in the industry. So if someone does a sales role at Strategio, they're not called a salesperson or a business development or a client success. It's names like enterprise strategy, because that's really what I want you to do. I don't want you to sell our concept to somebody else. I want you to strategize with a end client, how they can use this, how they can benefit from it, how they can make changes and innovate. It's talent strategy instead of recruiting for the people that do that role, instead of talent acquisition. We're strategizing your future and what role your talent can play in our our business. So I think because I believe in real change, I didn't didn't think I could copy the way it's done everywhere else. It didn't make sense to me. I was like, if I do that and copy competitors, we're just going to be the same all over again and just be another version of that. Similar to how you mentioned we can add uh, some some digital or we can add some technology on top of the way we do things, or we can look at it from a totally different lens and see if the world can be a different place. And sometimes that means taking risk here and there. And sometimes it means trying things that don't necessarily always work. But in the end, you're you're getting the return on investment from all of this change you're making. That might be how you go from hundreds of millions to billions of dollars in, in, uh, in profit or revenue for certain companies as they grow. Yeah, I think... I think the fascinating thing about, you know, things that like kind of keep me up and that, that I feel like at like, un, like mental unrest and just passionate about, right? If you think about all the companies that you just mentioned, they actually created net new. They created net new ways of being, of interacting, of commercial and personal trade, of you know, right? And so I think that then what, we see a lot of is um, what I would call like mimicking or automating very rote pieces and parts. And, and even sadly, like we can get into this, uh, you know, there, 
my finance background will come in heavy here. The street even somewhat rewards that with some of the VC backing, right? It's in the name of focus, deliver, MVP, show ARR on that, right? And, and, and I think what's missing is that, yes, like, you know, like when Bezos launched Amazon, clearly he started with a digital bookstore, something that people could tangibly understand, you know, a little bit of like, get some things done. Of course, Amazon then hired, re replaced their entire infrastructure and rewrote it to become Amazon. But, but the point is that net new. And I think some people are honestly, um, and I'll kind of take it back to learning and education, maybe a little bit of liberal arts, maybe a little bit of, you know, I have three kids. And so I often think about what are they learning and how are they being educated? There's so much in taught about mimicking, right? And repetition, which is good. Like there's certain things we all need to rote, know and understand like multiplication tables. But what we as a society uh, fail to teach is like, like really white space, like comfortable with white space, comfortable navigating the unknown. Um, we'll, I'll, I'll circle back to your job descriptions and titles in a moment because I, I find that fascinating as well. Um, and so I, I think what ends up happening is that the people that are exiting the corporate world and the, the, I'll call the generation saying, we're gonna go create a startup and, and this, it's, it's the ideation of it's so great, but our muscle memory, even you know people who are just maybe doing it at a much younger age, our muscle mem is automation, fix a specific problem, be concrete, other word is focus. And so our muscle mem kicks in heavily and we don't actually create, you know, I call it like breathing life into the sand. How do we create a three-dimensional object that is net new? So this unrest for me is, you know, the real ROI of the digital revolution is the net new. It's not the, I mean, we had the industrial revolution, right? We have OpEx. We know how to double down on operational improvement and, you know, consistently take 10% out, maximize 5%. That's not like, we didn't need the digital revolution for that. Right. And I think we, that muscle mem comes in heavy and like, okay, how were we all conditioned? Let's apply it. And so I think we're missing the net new as um, society, as purposeful. How do we create something that's net new? Maybe we're intimidated. Maybe that's not how the street's rewarding us. Right. Because there's bigger things in certain metrics, like, you know, like, I, I you know, I, the, the trajectory of valuation. But then we also, our org structures. Like that's why I love your point about job descriptions. Org structures and verticalization of organizations like, you know, finance functions and sales functions and operations functions and IT functions. Our org structures were literally created as a byproduct of the industrial revolution. They have no place in their current form in the digital revolution. Yet our muscle memory is like too heavy, right? So even when we lean in and we say, oh, well, I want to create this function or that function, I've been actually meeting and talking to some startups and they'll come in with a very traditional org structure. And it's a little perplexing to me because I'm like, oh, but you're not a big, you know, huge, you know, 100-year-old, 50-year-old company. Why are you doing this? Well, because that's what I need. I need a CFO. I need a COO. I need a, you know, chief strategy officer or whatever. And I'm like, oh, but have we thought about the dexterity role? Like where digital is actually like our language where everyone has to be immersed in the language and now how we all break down these verticals. And I even, it's fascinating that you said that about job titles. And I, I'm kind of even um, wondering if job descriptions 
serve our, I'll call it, and, and fuel our digital um, businesses in the way that they need to, right? Like, like, yes, we all need things that we kind of like, I call it call the ball. My son plays baseball. So how do we call the ball, right? Who's going to catch it? You don't want everyone going for the ball and hitting each other and falling down on the field, but calling the ball in the digital era should mean something different than it did, you know, a mere five or 10 years ago. So, so anyway, I'm with you. No, I'm totally with you on that because it's again, something I'm also looking at. I'm looking at it from how other, because I'm now I'm a startup founder. I'm also in that world where I'm hearing other startups talk. I'm listening to other founders and what they do, uh, meeting with other VCs just to kind of, you, you'd have to learn and connect with people. But when I'm looking at my own job descriptions, I'm like, I want to change this. I, I almost want to put, you know, if you think like this, or if your mind is, if you have these abilities to think, things like, do you think outside of the box? Are you know, have you been completely different to everyone else in uh, in school? Have you done some sports that have made you shown that you're motivated and determined and able to fail and get back up? Um, or not even sports? Have you done anything? Like, could be that you've done uh, theater. It could have been that you've done music. Something where you've just pushed yourself outside of your your or normal, I have just studied, or I have just done my job, people who are different. And that, that's, again, just different, bringing that diversity of thought, you're from a different town than I'm from, You've, all your experiences are going to mean that you can challenge me. And I just think if we put, we're putting everybody in boxes, and then saying that we want diversity. And again, we're not just talking about gender, culture, yeah. ethnic background, we're talking about every type of, of mindset. So okay, here's our job description, come and be exactly this person. And if you're not, we won't speak to you. So you can't even get the interview. Then during the interview process, it's like, now do you fit into this box? So I think it's interview processes are absolutely critical. You do have to have a clear structure of how you want to get through that process to find the right person, make sure that they also do mold well with your culture, because you're trying to build a long term culture as well. But I just don't think that if we stick to it in a rigid manner and don't allow people to think differently during that process, I'm, I'm more excited about someone that hasn't got the exact experience, hasn't used the tools or technologies I'm talking about, but has shown me that they've learned loads of different things in the last few years, that they have insane amounts of passion and that they've actually pursued interests in the same space, but without doing it, because then they can bring, I don't want them to have done it because here's where they're going to start. Day, day one at Strategio working with me, it doesn't matter if you've got 20 years experience or one month experience, that's day one. That's how it works. It's like, that's the beginning of the of this journey. And so that way, if you're in a meeting, if we're in a meeting together, I have this vision of our teams and challenging each other and saying, you can't say, okay, I'm wrong or I'm right because I have 20 years experience. It's I'm here's the reason I think this concept is correct based on this data that I've gathered and feedback I've got. And it doesn't matter if I'm more junior than you, you, you're, you can hear me out and, and listen to that feedback and we can grow together for the good of the company. And I think there's this mindset of, if you don't have that exact experience, you don't fit in this box and you don't, and then, then you come in the door and you have to then be the same as you were somewhere else and not really bring the, the new innovation and the net new as, as we're trying to refer to right now. Yeah, it, it, it's so important. Gosh, there's just so many layers of that, and especially if it comes to um, diversity, equity, inclusion, right? So there's, um, there, so, so just first of all, there's um, technical skills, there's vocational skills, there's cognitive aptitude. There's so many different dimensionalities of, thinking and, and, and how we really uh, satiate ourselves 
with with these different things. So, so I, I think first of all, we as leaders and as people starting companies and forming that new and really trying to do differentiated things, we really have to just almost lobotomize our traditional ways of thinking about talent and hiring, et cetera. So, so there's a lot of concepts on this this web web. You know, I, I don't need one kind of technical skill. I need this web, and together this web will form a team. So we need that in. Um, we, we need we need to now layer that on a cognitive level. So thinking, so you just don't need, you know, like uh, how are people comfortable with change? You know, aptitude, agility. How do they process? Are they problem solvers, right? Um, or are they just very linear, like rote? I need to be told what to do. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that rote um, rote thinkers don't have a place in the digital world. I'm just saying it's like a different that, place. That right? It's fine to have both and then leverage both in different ways. Exactly, exactly. And then it's even kind of, in my mind, uh, much more appealing and intriguing because like you now get into organizations and you're not like boxed into these not only linear career progressions, but like identity. So like, I can personally relate to that. You know, like I grew up a little bit in the finance realm and then I, I, I wasn't really happy just being a finance person, but it was like, well, but you're in your thirties and that's what you do. And you're, you know, your, your goal should be to be the CFO or, you know, partner in big four firm. And I'm like, well, so I like technology and process. And I, I think that the, the whole fact of like, okay, your identity. So then to become the COO, I was actually talking to my mentor and it was like, well, you have to leave your identity of being a finance person behind. And at the time it was like, oh, this big decision, I had to wrestle with it. But just think about diversity, equity, inclusion now, like we're, we're literally telling people, well, to be one thing, you can't be another. And it's like, wait, but I am who I am. I can't not be a multi-dimensional thinker. I can't not be like, I'm going to click into revenue and accounting and ROI and ops. And yeah, I'm going to get all up about data. And, and, and it's almost like we try to condition people into just almost like a business model, just focus on one thing and be good at it. Well, that in and of itself is exclusionary. <laughs> it's not creating diversity and equity and inclusion. And, and by definition, it locks people in almost like children like we're you know like you know we're going to test them and this is who you're going to be it locks them into these paths that then they almost feel intimidated that at a certain age date and time they can't jump over paths without severe i'll call it consequences or risk which is why i think a lot of people you know maybe uh, women not returning to the workforce maybe people entering but entering let's call it like vocational you enter um less of an intellectually degree profession and you feel like how do I ever get to that and we have these stigmas that we apply and then these very linear paths that we apply and then you add time duration and economic reward to that and people are like oh, well you know I may as well just stay on this in essence this track and I can't help but wonder if we started thinking differently about our organizations roles jobs even verticals like finance like why do you have to be an accountant to work in finance you just have to like numbers right you just have to conceptually understand numbers yes that's a requirement you know mentally you have to you have to love working with numbers but you don't necessarily have to have your cpa and so if we if we start to think differently i think it opens up not only true diversity of thought true problem solving true different ways of approaching things but it really breaks down these barriers to entry that we have 
either subconsciously and in a biased way imparted on society, which creates scarcity of resources, lack of talent, like all the things we all complain about, like, why can't I get any good people? Why can't I get them to stay? Why can't I engage? I just think this, this is a, it's, it's a cyclical thing that we're doing. So I'll, I'll pause there, Connor. That, that is exactly something I'm working on and looking at every single day at the moment. And I couldn't agree more on the fact that it's, so we have, we have companies, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of companies, just even just here in the US alone, saying we want to hire people from different backgrounds, more diversity, we want to increase equity, inclusion, representation. At the same time, we must have 10 years experience in something for a junior role. And or you have to have done this role for the last 15 years to even get considered to have a promotion into this role. We, we're already blocking everybody from coming into the industry. We need to totally change this era where we're truly stepping into digital. Yes, we had uh, fast moving technology. We had uh, various different ways of communicating and collaborating for many years until now. But really since COVID, I think we've leaped into the next era of transformation. The companies who truly embrace this are the ones that are gonna move forward faster. They're gonna be higher performing. And that's exactly what you've just mentioned there where it's not just saying you have to have this exact degree to get into this role. It might be that the entry level person that we hire and train for a small period, short period of time outperforms the person we waited one year to find and paid two or three times, probably six times the salary to, to get them in the door. So it's, uh, it's really on the mindset, I think, of leadership to start thinking, not just leadership, because there's, but it does come from the top because you've got leadership needs to think of it in a way that's we now change our initiatives. We now believe in hiring from different methods. Uh, how do we look at getting women returning to work, a career transition? How do we get veterans returning to work? How do we get fresh graduates? How do we get people without degrees into this uh, industry? Searching solely for aptitude and not necessarily for uh, the previous ability. And then how do we as companies train and and invest in the people that join us and thinking of actually putting the people first and giving them experiences so that they're they're worth something now but also even if they do leave you in two or five years you're you're building a better society so that all companies are higher performing and we have a workforce that's actually able to do what we need for the for the long term so it's continuously learning and we've all got to do that and it's something that yeah companies who, who do start doing it and actually look into this in a bit more detail they will get the advantage. They're going to get the talent at a time where many of us are saying there is a war on talent. People are jumping left, right, and center from company to company. What are you can do, keep paying people more, just giving them more benefits, or should we reinvest in actual training and, and getting people the ability to get into the workforce? Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the cool thing is there's so many boutique and solutions that have started focusing on not the entire solution that you just articulated, but different aspects of it. I think that the call to action, which is what I like to say, that we have on the point of leaders is, and, and I'll kind of step back for a moment, right? There's safety as a leader in doing what everybody else does. It's, it's actually kind of a sad state of like, when you, when you get behind the big, I call it the doors, the, the Oz doors, you know, you become an executive and they walk you behind these mythical doors. And the secret is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, most people like conformity because like, you know, like I'm not going to get fired for doing things the way my buddy does it. Right. Like, and I hate to say it, but people get up there and they're like, oh, well, as long as I'm, 
you know, and, and companies do it like boards of directors, like what's the other company doing? How much are they spending on these types of initiatives? You know, what are they doing with, you know, um, you know, anything from digital innovation, diversity, equity, inclusion, you see it, it all, look, even our DIE uh, initiatives look very similar if you really think about it. So what it, what it takes is a lot of courage to say, you know what, conformity for this is not the way it needs to be. I need to think different about this and I need to take a risk and I need to take a risk that is maybe not prescribed, maybe not documented, but I, I, I believe in humankind. I, I believe in people's brains and their learning agility. And, and, I, and I, I believe that in the long run, I'm going to outperform based on these techniques and breaking down hiring our hierarchies and all these things that we've been prescribed. I believe this is going to work and I'm going to believe in it as a leader. And I'm going to almost, you know, like, like I've had interactions with HR professionals, nothing negative, but where I've had to say, I'm on risk here. You're not, this is the way we have to do it. Like, like this is like for like, I'll call it like the, the environment that I want for what I'm hiring. And as sometimes as a leader, you, you sometimes have to I'll say, agree to disagree sometimes. And, and I hate to say that with your HR professionals, cause they're like educated in it and they, you know, but sometimes you have to say, it's just compelling and important to me. And it's so compelling and important to me. Like you can view it as a prototype. You can view it however you want it, but like we, we've got to do this. Right. And, and I think that that has to then permeate and continue to permeate because what people do is they start to see success in it. Like how, how is that team doing it? We're not, what does that team love working on this project? Even though I'll say it's been intense and, and everyone else is miserable. Why do they have better engagement and others don't. Right. And so I think you just have to kind of lean into that, which is, I acknowledge it's hard. There's no prescribed roadmap. It's not documented in a playbook. It's not conformity. You know, you are putting yourself at risk, but you're putting yourself at risk for something that you fundamentally know is the best way to get the best solution, which fiduciarily at the end of the day, that should be what we're all about, right? Exactly. That, that's it. Yeah. You've got to take that risk. And, and if you are the lead, one of the leaders, you've got to say it's, it's your neck on the line as well. But if you believe in it and you're passionate about it, then that, that change could be the, the way that the, the company leaps forward and, to make, and actually gets an, an advantage on competitors by being the first one to do that kind of change. And, and Connor, like one other thing that I was just like kind of reflecting on in some of the model that you articulated, which is the, you know, not skill sets, maybe not degrees, more like aptitude, cognitive ability, you know, like whatever it is you're searching for that you need. Um, I also think our, our interaction model and engagement model with education needs to change, right? Like, uh, you know, most corporates are go get educated, get your, whatever that is, your degree, your, your, you know, your, your certification that says you're right for this type of job. Right. And then you're boxed into that career. You know, you may zigzag vertically, you know, linearly a little bit, but you're going to stay there. Um, but how do we change the engagement model too of education in and of itself? Right. So um, I once had an economics professor. I won't say when, <laughs> but uh, he was very, very wise. And, and he said this back in the, you know, uh, I'll call it like late 90s. He said, America is overeducated for college. We are over-educating our society and we're not actually producing more and better rewarding careers and jobs. And, and I often think of this, you know, X decades later. And I think, <laughs> you know, did, did he have a point in the sense, uh, at the time I didn't 
I, I would have to say that fundamentally understand other than just statistically, yes, so many educated people, but what are they going to do? But what he was saying is the economics of four-year degrees versus we're missing out on vocational training, we're missing out on skills training. You know, we've, we have not yet harnessed how we, uh, I'll call it cooperate and, and create this technical training that people need. And then if you fast forward to the digital era, you would then actually think, well, but now we've got the thinking and that should be, you know, there's a great author that I, he's actually runs a VC fund, but he wrote a book, his name is Scott Hartley. And he wrote a book called Fuzzies and Techies, Why the Liberal Arts Will Rule the Digital World, which it's such a fascinating read in terms of it's, it's the art of thinking that's missing. Like that's how, why we haven't really tapped into the fundamental and full ROI. So side note, coming back to this, you would then believe, your hypothesis would be, well, we've got all these educated people they now should embrace the art of thinking. They should now be able to apply the cognitive art of thinking and really harness this digital revolution, new business models, net new. But what we see is, and I'm not saying everyone, but predominantly we have a very rote skill set coming out of institutions. And hopefully I'll make a plug, maybe not in liberal arts. I'm joking. I, I like, I like <laughs> I'm not that. trying to say anything good or bad about education system, by the way. I'm saying that have we really reinvented and really taken advantage of societal investment in higher education in a way that purports and fuels diversity, equity, inclusion, and all these kind of problem-solving thinking things that we now need in the digital revolution? I, I still think there's something missing there, I guess, is my hypothesis. So th th this is cool because I, th the reason I like these podcasts is every single time I get to learn something and also these kind of like a brainstorming session with, uh, with whoever's uh, joining me, I, I get to think of new ideas as well. And one that's just come to me now that I'm going to have to do more thinking about afterwards, but I'll just say it at the moment anyway, is the we've changed the way we deliver software to build products and services. For example, we've gone from waterfall through agile DevOps, and we have built in microservices. We now work in very, very quick, short cycles instead of making a whole, um, you know, writing hundreds of lines of code and then considering going to test and, uh, and move towards production. We now have an ability to, you know, automatically um, deploy lines of code extremely quickly, hundreds of, uh, of releases per hour in the likes of Amazon, right, versus, you know, one release per, per half year in some large banks uh, in, in the last few years as well. So education is exactly the same as it was before, but the way we, we create technology has totally changed. And we've changed the way teams work, the way culture works, people collaborate. So we've got a four-year degree, but we're not iterating on that on like a daily or weekly or hourly basis. So the, the, this is the way I've been thinking about how we're building out our training at Strategio is we have an eight-week training cycle. And so, and by the way, again, I'm not saying anything bad about universities. I think that education is great. This is more just an idea, but if we, we've got an eight-week cycle and we can iterate for a week or two and then start another eight weeks of training. So even in that time, we'll be able to have a huge advantage on, on longer term training uh, courses and content, which degrees and universities are. So imagine if we had a way of thinking uh, to do short bursts of training and then some kind of, of work experience in between, given that people are paying tens or even hundreds of thousands for US college degrees, 
there could be a really good way to, to disrupt and, and change that industry. Maybe I'm doing it. Who knows? I could be to some extent, but I think there's a lot more thought to come around there. And, and yeah. if people listen to this and have great ideas and want to share them on Twitter or LinkedIn or anything else, just do hit me up and brainstorm with us as well. Because I think that's that's just a concept I'm throwing out to the, the abyss for now. I think you now. just signed up for that one. Yeah, I think that might be me that changes this. But yeah, it's coming to me. I'm sharing it live. That's the whole point. We like to be honest and transparent. And even if it's uh, someone goes with one of the ideas that come up on the podcast and makes it great then that's another great uh you know company that's going to exist in our world so um look we've got to the point where we're at the uh the quick fire questions so number one if you had the chance what is the number one thing that you tell your younger self on day one of their first job so i think on day one of my first job it would be to really to really lean into the the curiosity and the aptitude, right? Like, like lean into the non-conformity. Don't try to um, not disguise it, but don't try to be the norm, right? Like, just being like I, I tell my kids now, like own your dorkiness, be the outlier. It's okay. Like, I think that that's what I would tell my younger self. I like that one. At Strategia, one of our uh, one of our cultural values, our founding values, is be unapologetically yourself. And, and it means bring your full self to the, to the table, right? Where, like, look how you look, speak how you want, bring different ideas to the table and be bold with it. Challenge people to think differently because that's actually how we do innovate. So I, I really like that one. Number two, what is the number one personality trait that you look for in future leaders? So it's, it's probably, um a combination of curiosity and courage. And courage in the sense of always being willing to be unapologetically yourself and curiosity. So, because I, I just, I, I, I think that curiosity and that kind of courage combined fuel all the other things that we look for in terms of drive and aptitude and all those other things. Number three, what is the number one non-negotiable skill that you expect from everyone that you hire? Um, I, I expect engagement, full, like all in. Everyone that I hire, I expect to be fully engaged in anything that we're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that and uh, that is what's also great. Every person has that brings a, a, another trait or to, to for us to think about, and it makes total sense to to want uh, full engagement. And I, I would imagine it doesn't mean that you're thinking they have to work a number of hours or do. It's that they they are interested and engaged with the interactions of what they're doing, whether it's an individual contributor piece of work, whether it's leading that team, whether it's engaging with you in meetings. It's it's thinking on a certain wavelength that. Means means that they can actually get the most out of their self. Am I right in thinking that? Correct, correct. I mean, I, I define engagement too as just, you know, it, it's a combination of, you know, intellectually curious, you know, and participating, never tuning out. You know, I, I take relentless notes. I take like, you know, like six pages of notes when everyone's talking, everyone's like, why do you still take notes? I'm like, because I want to absorb everything that everyone is saying. Like, I don't tune in and tune out when it's like, my vertical or my area or my team. And so for me, engagement means you're listening to, to everything when you're when you're you're all in, your your mind, it, it's cool, right? Pay attention. 
you're not tuning in and tuning out because that's not your language or that's not your subject or that's not your, your passion. You're always engaged in listening because I think what happens is we miss the nuggets when we're not engaged, when we tune out and, and we've almost given ourselves permission to tune out because like, Hey, that's not mine or that's, you know, that's Connor's time or like whatever. So that's what I mean by engagement. It's like, you know, like I could literally ask you questions about like, so what did you think about, you know, like what Connor was saying about whatever sales and, and let's just pretend like we're not sales. I don't know. I wasn't, listening. you know, so, so I think of that as engagement, like, and also it breaks down those barriers about who owns what. So yeah, that's what I mean. Definitely not an hour thing for me. In fact, one of my favorite people I ever worked for earlier on in my career said, working fewer hours means you found a better way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's just, I like finding better ways to do things, yeah, right? Then you've got more free time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and I, I just want, well, I can actually highlight that I can see and hear from when I speak to you, that you are someone that is very, very engaged. It's very obvious to see, and, and that that's a special trait to have. And if you, it seems like you've been able to replicate that given that you've made it to C-level in certain companies, you've had uh, teams of people that you've hired and trained. So that's an amazing trait and something that I, I'll definitely listen to. And I hope all of our listeners do as well. Lisa, it, it's been such a pleasure hosting you today. Really enjoyed our conversation um, and yeah, looking forward to, to continuing our conversations in future. Definitely. Likewise, Connor, thanks so much for having me. I'm just beyond thrilled, ecstatic actually, to kind of follow along your journey and see you really make these uh, not only podcasts, but this real societal difference. I'm, I'm very excited to stay connected. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the DevOps Diversity Podcast. I've been your host, Connor Dellenbank, and today's episode was brought to you by Strategia. 